You're so fresh-faced today. Freshly shaven with a razor and not a plane, I hope. Definitely with a razor, for sure. Or not in ads, you know, God forbid. Grunge Girl doesn't like my sideburns. Oh, no. I'm team sideburns, but... That doesn't help anything. I've always had Elvis sideburns. I never liked the high and tight thing. Yeah. You know, it's a little too, you Right. Know. When they go high, we go low. Uh, yeah, kind of. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm home alone today. Ooh la la. Well, it's me and the puppy just hanging. I took the week off from work. Ooh la, ooh, little double ooh la la. I've been basically just kind of doing not a lot and it's been great it's been yeah wow that sounds marvelous later this week i'm gonna go to the uh, asian grocery store and pick up various cooking things i'm excited about that it's like an hour and a half away so it's kind of a big deal any um specific exciting cooking plans that you have well i want to try cooking a little bit more szechuan food so Ooh, I was just thinking about how sometime I want to take a trip to the Asian market that's on the highway near me. That's really big. There's not a lot of grocery options around where I am, so. I believe it. You're out in the boonies. Yeah, I'm out in the boonies. I'm going to make the hike out, you know, visit a friend. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I got my friend a picnic table for his family. Oh, that's sweet. So he got a surprise picnic table delivered to his house, I don't know, an hour ago. That could be a stressful surprise. If... I think it is. I think the point is that it's a stressful <laughs> surprise, but it's kind of a good surprise, too. Yeah. I like giving people stressful surprises. I'm imagining how it was when my boyfriend's mom asked us if we wanted a corgi. And I was like, yeah, I will have to transform everything about my life and my routine just like right quick. But... right. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I'm just throwing a picnic table at him. So we'll see how he likes it. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to, you know, have my phone explode and be like, oh my God, you sent a fucking picnic table to our house. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, yeah. How are you, Hava? Baruch Hashem. I have been having a wonderful day. This morning, my boyfriend, my wonderful boyfriend, woke me up. And asked me if I wanted breakfast and then proceeded to make for me blueberry pancakes, scrambled eggs, and turkey bacon. Oh, yes. And serve them to me as I lounged about doing jack shit. It was heavenly. It was very romantic. What better way is there to wake up than to be showered with the homemade breakfast? I've never found one. That's great. So that's got me in a really good mood and has been serving as a shield against the stress that could easily creep in on me today as there are many tasks haunting me. I hope what I've brought will alleviate some of your stress. Ooh, wow. That's a tall order. I don't know. It might make you more stressed. Let's find out, I suppose. Okay, well, we're going to do a listener question today, and I think we should just listen to it. We're going to do the semicha one. Is that how you pronounce it? Semicha? It's smicha. Sometimes people spell it in English, S-E-M-I-K-H-A or whatever, but that E is actually just representing a phoneme that is not usually represented in English with an E. Okay, great, because I hate saying semicha, and my instinct is to just say smicha. That is how I am familiar with it being pronounced, so. Okay, great. Smicha also sounds like a Russian insult that you throw at someone. So let's listen. 
Hi, Talmud Hotline. My name is Bridget. I'm a uh, longtime listener, first-time caller. You can play this on air if you want. I've just been, like, thinking a lot about, I think it's called Semicha, you know, the whole institution of, like, rabbinic ordination. I read something about the reason that Rav's are called Rav's, like the Babylonian rabbis, is because the rabbis in Palestine wouldn't let them take that title because of the fact that official ordination was only allowed in in Palestine. And I don't know, there seems to be a lot going on there. So I don't know. I, I was just hoping maybe like you could talk a bit about that and like explain like the history of Semecha. And like, I think I also heard that Joseph Caro, uh, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, tried to revive like the like original version of it. I don't know. There's just a lot going on. And I would absolutely love it if you talked about that. Thank you. Thank you, beloved listener, for that question. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that Michael is going to answer it for us. And I'm excited to find out what we shall learn. Okay, okay. So, smicha. It's a thing. There's smicha with a lowercase s, which is how we use it nowadays to just generally mean ordination. And if you're like orthodox, there's different types of smicha. Some are associated with like particular sections of law. In certain groups of orthodox Jews, there's smicha for like kosher laws or animal laws in particular, slaughtering laws. And then there's smicha more generally so people use it differently and reconstructionists and you know woo-woo jews like us it contains right. different associations so that's a whole modern let's say the last 200 years of okay. the use of the word smicha maybe even longer but historically smicha with a capital s is ordination of a very particular type so smicha with a capital S is generally understood to be ordination that the lineage of which can be traced all the way back to Moses. Okay. So Hashem comes down and, you know, grants Moses the power to kind of, you know, be the judge, basically, of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you know, Moses gives this he lays his hands on top of joshua and kind of passes on this like ability to joshua so you kind of have at least in tanakh this idea that you're passing basically maybe through the force of the shekhinah like flowing from you into the next person this god granted power to adjudicate among the israelites got it okay so that happened like once this like laying of the hands which is what the word smicha that's the root of it. It's like laying hands on. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to Mishnah Talmud, that's not really done anymore. And there's this whole discussion on what this process is, this like passing of responsibilities on. Mm -hmm. And they talk about it a lot in Sanhedrin 13b to 14a. Okay, what do they say? They say, the sage is taught in a Baraita, and apparently this Baraita is from Tosefta Sanhedrin chapter 10. The laying of hands and the laying of hands by the sages are performed by three judges. The Gemara asks, what are they referring to? And Rabbi Yochanan responds, it's referring to the ordination of elders. There's this big discussion of why is it three, and the Talmud concludes that it's a kushya, it's a difficulty. There isn't really a good, like, argument given, but you kind of need a bait dean. You need a bait dean of at least three to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And there's lots of verses in Tanakh that say like the elders. There's one verse in particular in Tanakh. This is Leviticus 4.15. The elders of a community shall lay their hands upon the head of a bull. The elders are kind of doing some metaphysical prep work on a bull that's going to be sacrificed. Right. They're God's metaphysical sous chefs. Yeah. So there's like a plural number of elders that need to do stuff. And you can't have an even number, apparently, because I guess you don't really want ties, especially in a right. dean. So this plural, which is a minimum of two, has become a minimum of three. So there's this idea in the Talmud that you need three people to kind of pass on this ordination. Any questions so far? Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> yeah, well, it makes sense. It makes sense what you're saying. It, I imagine it was uh, really hard for the rabbis of the Talmud to deduce what ordination meant since they were making it up <laughs> as they invented it, in my humble opinion. There's other issues. It's not just you need these three elders to pass it on. At least in later stuff, maybe Maimonides, maybe even in the Talmud, I, I, I'm not sure. I heard reference to this, but no sources across many different things, that one of the members of this kind of three-person Beitin mm-hmm. needs to have smicha themselves in order to Got pass it. it on. So at least one of the people needs to have smicha. Someone from the club needs to sponsor you Yes, to yes. get in. It's like a country club, basically. It's a little weird, like you need the smicha person but you the other two people don't need to be smicha people they can just they be can like just be whoever learned folks so there's another issue with this according to the talmud this is the base source smicha can only be granted in eretz yisrael okay so both parties the grantor and the grantee have to both be in eretz yisrael they don't have to be in the same room Interesting. One of them can just be informed. Like they can get a letter or something like that later on and be like, hey, right. I passed like down this like ordination with a capital O to you that like traces all the way back to Moshe. Which is weird because it se- the whole deal seems to be about laying on of hands. <laughs> really curious how you can metaphysically achieve that through a letter. They like in the Talmud, they say, no, that's not necessary. It's all you just have to call them. A rabbi, basically. No, no, no. I didn't mean laying on of hands. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like laying on of hands, you know, like, well. (laughs) Are you making a gay thing? I'm very serious right now. No, I'm just making fun of the rabbis of the Talmud for being so silly about this. Yeah, they are very silly. So this is the classic rabbinical summary of smicha. It's origin and how you do it according to them. And they Mm -hmm. are regularly doing this. Got it. Okay. So then the listener asks, why are some sages in the Talmud called rabbi Mm -hmm. and some of them are called rav? Right. And the answer is the ones that are rav are like learned scholars, but because they're not in Eretz Yisrael, they're not allowed to get smicha transferred to them. They're, They're in Babylonia doing their thing. Right. They're like adjunct rabbis. They're like They're at the adjunct satellite campus. rabbis. Yes, exactly. And there's funny passages in the Talmud where like Rabbi Yochanan is like, oh, I really want to give smicha to these people, but like, why can't I give it? They're like so far away. I really want to give it. And then some of them come over and move to like Jerusalem and then they get it. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> party time. Like now you're like official. Like Now I'm just imagining like a Priscilla, Queen of the Desert style movie 
but the three drag queens are three rabbi drag queens driving a bus from Babylon to Jerusalem to meet Rabbi Yochanan so it. they can I get ordained. It. One of them, instead of having an Abba turd, they have a Rabbi Yochanan turd. What's that movie that has a similar vibe to Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? That's uh, older. You are thinking of um, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Yes, yes. Featuring Wesley Snipes and John Leguizamo and Patrick Swayze as drag queens. I love that movie. I'm sure I'm not allowed to love that movie, but it is a great movie. That movie was very formative for me. I watched it when my whole family was asleep. I like stayed up late and it was like on MTV or something. So I like had it on with no volume, but with subtitles on while everyone else was sleeping. Oh, so it was that. very formative for me. Stalker Channing is in it. I am here for Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. We should do an episode on it sometime. <laughs> okay. I watched it really recently, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of diasporic in a way. I um, mean, there's not, there's not really anything Jewish about it, but the great thing about this podcast is that it's ours and we can do whatever we want. So. That is true. That is true. Okay, so yeah, ordination, Rav, Rabbi. So if you see Rabbi in the Talmud, it's because they probably got smicha if you see rav it's because they didn't not because there's like animosity it's just like not because rav's go to jupiter to get more stupider not because rav's go to jupiter to get more stupider uh what michael i don't know why my silliness is so concerning to you today i'm always silly i don't know i'm just deep in a smicha hole i'm always a silly goose i'm deep in a smicha hole it's hard it's hard i know Okay, Ravs are just, they just couldn't make it to they just the can't. appropriate ceremony. But it's weird, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal in people's minds. There was one kind of neurotic Rav who hid and tried to avoid getting smicha. Wow, iconic. Because of, like, being humble or something like that. Right. Any ordination that would have me, I wouldn't want. Yeah, basically, it was something like that. So that was kind of silly. So that's basically how they go about doing it and why there's a difference between the Rav and the Rabbi. Okay, so how do we get from that? Well, before that, there's an important story. At one point, Smicha was like under siege because Hadrian, the emperor of Rome, he was like, no more Smicha, not allowed. I don't know if he said that specifically. He would probably have to have a deep knowledge of... Right, of Judaism. <laughs> but I think he said like, no, he said like, none of that shit. And he was right. prosecuting people for smicha. None of that Jew stuff. Whatever you're doing, smeeking everywhere. So <laughs> Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava, apparently one of the famous ten martyrs. No idea who the other nine are. We'll maybe do an episode about it. He did the smicha thing to five rabbis: Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yose, and Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. Is this the one where they got ordained in a cave? Yep, they got ordained okay. in a cave. I remember this one. And like the rule was like, if you ordain someone, we're going to kill everyone within the city or something like that. So they got ordained like halfway between two towns in a cave. And then the Romans mm. came and they killed Rabbi Yehuda And the ben Romans Baba. were like, dang, we really wanted to kill everyone in this city, but you did it in a cave. So I guess we can't. <laughs> that, Notoriously followers of their own rules. Yeah. Oppressive empire. They love making rules, but then following them. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, oh my the God. hypocrisy of the state, never heard of it. So anyway, that was a big deal because it was like a smicha transfer to a new generation that otherwise wouldn't have happened. But then the Talmud's like, wait a minute, that's only one person giving smicha. Don't we need three? And they're like, nah, there All were two right. other people there, but they're not as important. <laughs> but we just didn't mention them. They were here the whole time. Don't worry about it. Uh, so anyway, we don't really know. There's like debate about if there was smicha after like around 400 ce Mm -hmm. maybe it lasted in some places officially like until a little later but definitely by rambam time by like 1100 1200 it's widely acknowledged smicha is gone and dead it's it's, right we only have little non-capital letter smicha. Yeah, and in Mishnah Torah, in the Sanhedrin section, Maimonides says something that will be important for the future. He says, It appears to me that if all of the wise men in Eretz Yisrael agree to appoint judges and convey smicha upon them, then smicha is binding, and these judges may adjudicate cases involving financial penalties and convey smicha upon others. The question whether smicha can be renewed requires resolution. Right. Wasn't there someone who tried to get the band back together? Yes, yes. So Maimonides has this idea that if you have all, and it's translated as all, but there's debate about whether all means like a majority or a consensus of all the okay. you know wise sages in Israel, decide right. to convey smicha upon someone, then they can start the band back up. But okay. then he says, and eh, this is still debatable. Right. He's not very confident in this possibility. So in the 1500s, there's this rabbi, Jacob Barab, who is from Spain. He gets expelled because of the whole expulsion of the Jews thing. Right. He gets expelled along with everybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he's like a rabbi whiz kid. He kind of spends some time in Fez and some other places. And like by 18, like an entire town is like, oh, yeah, you're our rabbi. So he's like mm-hmm. a whiz kid rabbi. He eventually settles in Tzfat in Eretz Yisrael and becomes the chief rabbi of Tzfat. Great. And he is like, oh, I want to start Smicha over. It seems like the reason is it's, it's kind of messianic, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, this is the real, we're like building up to Shabbat times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like proto-Shabbatai. So right. there's this big traumatic expulsion of the Jews from Spain. Shit's bad. Maybe it's time for a new Messiah. What's more messianic than like restarting this smicha? Maybe if you do that, maybe you're the Messiah. You know, there's lots of messianic connections there. And also there's this issue they bring up, which is you have all of these Jews that converted to Christianity. Right. And they are like real bad sinners, apparently, for, you know, Mm -hmm. and we need some way to, like, let them back into the fold. But in order to do that, according to them, you need an official bait dean. Right. The expulsion from Spain led to so many... Issues, just crises. Just issues, guilt, survivors, guilty kind of stuff. Yeah. So, like, they wanted to create a Beit Dean with some official smicha so that they could change the, like, the, basically the punishment that would be to ban them from ever, you know, being part of the Jewish community. Got it. To just kind of do some nominal thing, you know, mm-hmm. so then they could come back. And in 1538, 20 rabbis in Sfat, I believe, got together and basically declared amongst themselves that smicha is happening. (laughs) 
I was sorry to process everything in terms of pop culture references, but I'm just imagining that moment of the office where my goal, Scott, declares bankruptcy. <laughs> just imagining like this rabbi standing and spot being like, I declare smicha. I mean, that's kind of what went down. And like the listener mentioned Joseph Caro, who, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch. Yeah. He was not one of the 28, I don't think, but he was like later given smicha from this Rabbi Barab guy. Got it. So for whatever reason, you know, Joseph was into it, but there's an interesting little reason why this didn't take off. Okay. Because like everyone in Sfat was for it. So Jacob Barab, after he did this smicha thing, he did the thing where he gave the rabbi, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem smicha. They weren't in the same room. It doesn't seem like they were in the same room. He just kind of gave it to him, and then, like, the rabbi found out about it. Mm -hmm. Now, this was kind of a politically smart move, because this chief rabbi of Jerusalem, Levi Ben Habib, or Levi Ibn Habib, he was kind of, like, enemies of uh, Jacob Barab. They, like, disagreed a lot. I see. So this was like an olive branch. This was kind of like an olive branch or maybe to get him on your side. Like, hey, let me give you like smicha. Isn't that cool? Now you're like officially smicha. Let me guess. Did this chief rabbi say like, I don't need shit from you. And in fact, yes. I declare you invalid. Yes. He's, he was insulted by it that the, <gasps> that the Jerusalem scholars weren't even consulted about this. And even though Tzfat had a majority of the rabbis, or I guess the Ravs in this case, in Israel, he interpreted it to mean you need a consensus, not a majority. This is all based on that Maimonides argument. Right, right. So he got real fucking pissed and he responded. He wrote something called the Contras Ha Smicha. So maybe it was written in Ladino. Is Contras hmm. like, that doesn't seem like a Hebrew word, but. Yeah, it could be. I, I'd have to see it in writing, but. So he and the chief rabbi of Egypt, David Ben Zimra, got together and wrote a five-point response saying why this is illegitimate. And I'm going to give you the points. No, it's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. Okay. First point. First point, you're a bitch. Second. (laughs) No, that's like point five. Don't jump ahead. (laughs) Tell me the five points. First point, the renewal of smicha will create like an elite of rabbis who have the privilege to create laws that would be mandatory for all Jewish people and would diminish the honor and capabilities of most rabbis in the world who are holding a rabbinical position in their communities. Got it. States' rights. States' rights. Also, we kind of like the new system now. Stop mucking about. All right. We're, things were fine as it was. Then the second one is the three words at the end of Rambam's talking about this whole restarting smicha. Rambam says it's not a settled matter. Right. It needs to be investigated. You can't just act on a Rambam ruling when Rambam himself is saying this might be bullshit. So that's point two. Point three is you're going to bring back all sorts of fucked up problems. Like, if we're going to have a Sanhedrin now, because we have an official Sanhedrin, because we got the Smicha reps on that Sanhedrin, are we going to have to start, like, figuring out dates by asking witnesses when they see the stars and the sunrise the way they used to do it when we had a Sanhedrin? We, we, we like, like our calendar. Like, let's okay. not fuck with shit. We have to, I need to pause at this point in the reasons to just say this is so fucking funny. It is just such a great example of how like Judaism is so um, of two minds about itself. Like on one hand, it's like we all pray for the returning of the temple 
every day. We all think about it all the time. And then it's like, but would we really want that? Like, no. Okay. And don't make it weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's like a fantasy that should never be acted upon. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you're given the opportunity, it's like, no, don't do it. No, no, no. So I love that. Uh, reason. Apparently, Ibn Habib, he wrote a whole thing about dates and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he was like a calendar expert. He whipped out his calendar expertise to like throw that point in. The fourth thing is with the Muranos who converted to Christianity, Mm -hmm. they're all good because they never sinned because there were no formal witnesses or legal warnings. All the crazy minutia that's required to prosecute someone for a capital offense. None of that happened. Again, just really funny to be like, there were no witnesses to this thing that I'm talking about that we all know about. <laughs> yeah. No witnesses. Though. So like, we can't even, who, who's to say, really? We're all looking for the guy who did this. So he's like, this is not necessary for this reason. And the fifth reason isn't a reason at all. It's like, look, maybe Smika will come back when the Messiah comes back. And like, we just got to wait for that. But it ain't you. So calm your shit down, Jacob. And then it got messy. They went back and forth, and at some point, Jacob does an ad hominem attack. Of course. And says, hey, Levi, even Habib, when you were 17, you converted <laughs> to Christianity. Oh, my God. Because he did, under duress, but then he ran away to Salonika and then went to Jerusalem. And, and Right, uh, and then even Habib said, "There's you can't verify that. <laughs> yeah, I guess That's so. That's allegedly. So, yeah, it got really messy, and uh, basically Jacob lost. Yeah. It didn't survive, and it was wow. just a shit show. And basically, we owe it to Levi Ibn Habib for not going along with the program and shutting it down. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing is a mess, but ultimately I'm happy that big capital S Smicha didn't come back. Yeah, same. I think now we associate, at least I associate things like Smicha with a capital S and like Red Heifer and rebuilding the temple with weird ultra right wing Jewish nationalism. I have no idea what the vibes were like back then, but it seemed... Like, maybe it was semi-messianic. Yeah. I mean, I'm loving this. My favorite character in all of this is our new iconic diasporist chief rabbi of Jerusalem. Uh, This guy, even Habib. Yeah, I really like him. And another thing I liked about him was he edited Ein Yaakov, which his father wrote. So Ein Yaakov is a collection of Agadah from Talmud, just the Agadah. So he was, uh, as a young man, an editor of it. So that's kind of nice. Apparently he likes stories. And I like stories too. We love to see it. Friend of the show, narratives. Yeah, so Levi Ibn Habib, he's kind of an interesting guy. Yeah, what a, what a fun and cute little journey. I was very dubious of how much I was going to like this story, but it was a real laugh riot. It's crazy. These Jews are insane. Someone yeah. need to do something with them. So that's my summarized history of smicha that was a great summary i know a lot more now than we i did when we started <sighs> just kind of went crazy for smicha yeah just blasted your smicha all over the place oh that's wonderful this is the perfect place to wrap up our little pod i really appreciate again both the listener for bringing this question and michael for bringing such a good answer I do want to let all you sexy Torah sluts out there know about Shomala's next class, which just launched today on the day we're recording this. Olive Bet Soup for the Soul. Going to be a class about the mystical meanings of the Olive Bet and about Gematria, taught by friend of the show, Autumn Morse 
who you may remember from our Sfara Tangent episode and from another episode. I think we did two episodes. Anyway, we'll put a link in the description. Would love to learn with y'all. We will keep making stuff, silly little Torah fights for you to listen to. And we're working on Temple OS behind the scenes and uh, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.